Amen, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. What a privilege uh, it has been these few moments just to sing to our Lord and, and have the opportunity to stand before you and look at your countenance, look at your faces. <clears throat> the faces of people who've been liberated, who've been set free from sin, who've been set free by the transforming work of the Spirit of God through the salvation work of Jesus Christ, who you've embraced as your Lord and Savior. And it has been good. It has been good to have Pastor Steve lead us in these songs of redemption, of salvation, to uh, rehearse together and to sing and to lift up our voices and thank our God. This is truly a celebration of our, sal- of our salvation this morning. That's what this gathering is. It's a celebration of our salvation. What a, 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 a wonderful thing to be is to be in God's family. And you know what? This is, this is harvest time. It really is, not because the weather is starting to turn a little crispy, but um, I think you'll agree with me that there's a special thing that's been happening over this period of time that, that many of us have been sowing for years, and God is harvesting now. God is bringing people into his family, and this is a great weekend of harvest in the greater Toronto area, and uh, exciting time of, of um, what God is doing among us, and we rejoice in uh, salvation. Um, I think it's uh, one of our young people, Drew, who sent uh, a Facebook message and said, uh, God is about to bring people, uh, no more brothers and sisters into our family. And uh, that was great, Drew. I love that. And a uh, real blessing. And that's exactly what's happening. And it's a joy to our hearts for that to be happening. And we've got about 40 counselors from Calvary here going down. There are, uh, the Air Canada Center's been filled with people. People have been coming to know Christ. Tonight, of course, that's uh, going to be again uh, another service. And I thought as we, um, just as we, um, before we look into God's word and uh, want to call out to God in prayer uh, for tonight, and in particular, if, uh, if you're a part of the counseling team here at Calvary, we, we are really excited about what you're doing and we know you've been um, Friday night, Saturday night, and tonight, uh, busy, busy nights. And we thought it would be important if we could just commit you to prayer tonight for this very important, again, conclusion night. So if you're a counselor with us or a counseling supervisor or whatever, please stand and uh, let's bow our heads and pray. And uh, we'll remember you in prayer as we do that as well. Let's, let's pause for prayer. Father, we, we do uh, rejoice in our salvation this morning. We just say hallelujah. Praise the Lord for what you've done for us, how you've reached into our lives and taken us from the slave market of being slaves to sin, having to sin, and rescued us and redeeming us by the cost of the blood of Jesus Christ, ransoming us from the, the darkness, the kingdom of darkness, and bringing us into your marvelous kingdom of light, to know you personally, to have a relationship with you, to know that you live in our lives, to know that you love us with eternal love. And Lord God, I pray for those who are standing in our midst this morning who are representing our counselors and all the counselors that are there who have this great opportunity to face-to-face take people on that journey from a lost person to a person who has surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. There is no greater, greater call in all the world than to have that moment to to be um, reaching someone who you have brought to yourself and then to... uh, Help them to, um, to pray and call on you for repentance. Oh God, we thank you and we pray that many will come tonight. We pray that this region will be uh, shaken, that revival will come, Lord. We pray that this harvest time will truly change the landscape 
the look and the feel of the GTA and that it will move out through this country, oh God. We know that, uh, that Toronto and the surrounding region, uh, for the most part, has turned its back on you. This is a dark place. But Lord God, you are shining your light, the light of salvation, the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that, Father, many will embrace it. So God, uh, give energy and courage to our counselors. Uh, they are, they're tired, but Lord, may they have the strength of the Holy Spirit to not only be energized, but to feel energized next week as well. And so, God, we pray now as we turn our attention to the Word of God and gather at this table, that you would really prick our hearts with the need, the need to be loyal servants of yours, I pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. All right, well, you know what? We are gathered here this morning um, at this uh, table of the Lord because it is the reminder and this, the symbol Um, that tells us and teaches us about the great things that Christ has done for us, particularly how he gave his life that we might have salvation. And so um, this is truly a celebration. But we are, uh, and I'm not sure if you've ever thought about this or not, but we are what you would call free exiles. Now, I know that sounds like an oxymoron, something like jumbo shrimp, but but free exiles. Um, We we are... um, I, I, more ideas came into my mind, but I must stop myself because, you know, it, it, it's not on the script and typically when I, don't, when I go off script, I get into trouble and, but if you could know the kinds of things that go through my mind that I'd love to say to you, that, but I resist. Anyway, um, yes, we're, we're free exiles and what that simply means is that we've been set free by Jesus Christ and the salvation that he has granted to us. So we are free from having to sin, but he has asked us to live among people who don't know the Lord and don't love him. I don't have to tell you that. You know that. It's your neighbors, your co-workers, some people in your family perhaps. But we, are, we, are not, um, we have not been placed in church every day of our lives with all our brothers and sisters. That's not how we live. We, we live among those who are exiled and far away from Jesus Christ. And that sets up a particularly difficult dynamic in our lives. It's a lot easier, for the most part, to live a life of faith and trust and commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ when we are together with one another and everybody's on the same page. But when we are asked to be out in the marketplace, in our school or in our office or in our factory or or wherever we are, among those who don't love the Lord Jesus Christ, it becomes a huge challenge for us. And so while we don't have to sin, there is this great challenge and burden in our lives and, and, and uh, pressure in our lives to be disloyal to the Lord we love. Now, um, I'm going to uh, share with you as we continue to set the tone and the atmosphere for our upcoming series in the book of Judges, uh, Swimming Against the Cultural Current, as we talk about that, I'm, I'm, I'm continuing to uh, carry us into the last parts of the book of Joshua, where Joshua was talking to his people, the people of God at the time, and telling them, be very careful that you don't become disloyal to God. And in fact, um, very simply, if we want to try to understand the storyline of the Bible, it, it really is as simple and profound as this. There is... 
the, the, you have an alternative. You can either serve the God and the living God of glory or you can serve idols. From the very beginning pages of the scriptures, that's the alternative that is set before us. You can be loyal to the God of the universe, the creator God who made you and, and, and saved you, or you can be disloyal to him. And so leaders throughout the pages of Scripture have been raised up by God to call God's people to loyalty to God in the midst of disloyal humans, humans who don't know Him at all. And so Joshua gives this final challenge at, in chapter 24. It's his last appearance. And he gives the challenge to the people to be loyal to the, to the living God. There's a danger in all of us of living with a divided heart because of the pressure of people around us. Too many of us are not experiencing the victorious Christian life that Jesus died for us to have. Tim Keller puts it this way, whatever provides you with security and identity other than the living God is a functional God, small g God, to you. Now, I want to um, take a few moments to flesh that out with you. Living as exiles with alternate gods all around us is the temptation to trust and rely on other things besides the living God. The temptation to find or seek our happiness in things or even people outside of God. We may claim, and we do, probably most of us in here, if not all of us, we claim to believe that God is sovereign over all the happenings of our life. And we would share that with each other. We would agree. We would, we would say, yes, God is sovereign. God's in charge of my life. God's watching over me. God's all-powerful. Nothing's impossible with God. We give all of these testimonies and witness to each other. But in our real life, I wonder if our real security isn't the safety of our low-risk lives, our jobs, our healthcare professionals. I mean, think about this. It's possible that your insurance premiums are greater than the offerings that you give to God. If that's so, then who or what are you depending on? You may say to each other, oh, God is sovereign. God can watch over me. God can take care of me. But who are you really relying on? Who are you really trusting in? Who is really your security? What is really your security? Now, as I said to the group in the first service, the, the insurance guys among us who are going, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to smack that guy when the service is over. As I wade into your professions, forgive me, and I don't suggest that we should abandon the insurance industry or our insurance policies or anything like that. It's a comparative, folks. Stay with me here. I love my insurance guys, wherever you are, and girls. No, it is this. If you're investing more in your insurance than you are in the Lord, then who is really your insurance? You know, we can um, appear to be deeply invested spiritually one with the other at church, but 
our identity is really in the things we own. That's what we talk about with each other. Well, I have this, or I'm getting that, or I, I, I'm, I'm going to have that, or I'm getting that promotion. Jesus talked much about that. Treasures here on earth. Where your heart is. We may pay lip service agreement to biblical morality, but the statistics of Christian singles and their sexual practices is anything but biblically moral. It's whenever, whatever, however. We may claim that Jesus is our joy, but when other things or people disappear, our joy goes with them. So, is Jesus really our joy? There's a subtle danger in all of our lives of going from being in the world but not of the world to back into the world. And we, we have to call each other on it. We have to continually stand before one another and, and the word of God continues to challenge us. We, we, we are given to sectioning our lives into compartments. Oh, this is my Bible moral department. This is my ethic department. This is my business department. This is my pleasure department. This is my joy department. And we produce functional gods for each of those different departments. Over the next um, several weeks, in fact, I think it's going to be three weeks, the subject matter is going to be about a divided heart and the issues of idolatry. Now, that may seem like overkill, but quite honestly, I am convinced having served these numbers of years among believers, that that is really where the rubber hits the road of our lives. It is really the issue. Are we totally 100% loyal to Jesus Christ or do we have a divided heart? This past summer, I came across a verse as I was reading through some sections of Scripture which I hadn't noticed before, but it shocked me. I did a little devotional with the staff. It shocked me so much. I, I said, I got, I got to go right in and do a devotional. It was 2 Kings. It's going to appear on the screen for you. 2 Kings 17.41. Listen to this. Even while these people, talking about God's people now, even while these people were worshiping the Lord, they were serving their idols. To this day, their children and grandchildren continue to do as their fathers did. Wow, that, that really, it hit me honestly like a sledgehammer. I realized, wow, you know, that's not just a historic retrospective of God's people. You know, that might be describing me. That might be describing us. In fact, I think it is describing us. That we really think that we can come in and worship the living God, but we can serve all kinds of other functional gods as well. And here's the clinker. Look at the, look at the results. Moms and dads. If you don't have a single-hearted, focused, loyal allegiance to Jesus Christ and have a divided heart, your children and your grandchildren continue to do the same. Wow. So it doesn't seem to me like using three weeks to call us on our loyalty is a bad idea. 
It seems to me that um, this is something we better get right. And I, I'm going to uh, show you a little bit further in as we talk that, that the, the hope of God, the fullness of God's blessing on our community is hinging on our loyalty to Christ. God wants to open up the portals of heaven and pour upon this community of faith immense blessings. But he won't. He won't in the absence of our undivided loyalty to Christ. So, um, if you have your Bibles, would you look at Joshua chapter 24? Joshua, it says in the first verse, summoned the people to Shechem. Now, Shechem is the place that was really the port of entry into the promised land. And um, he brings all of the people again. And by the way, this is really his last speech. And he stands before them as an old man and says, we're at at the entry. We're at the port of entry to God's blessing on our lives. He has saved us out of Egypt. He's redeemed us and rescued us. Don't miss the language that is the same for us. He has rescued us and brought us to this place and we are now on the, at the very port of entry to, to moving into the spiritual blessings of God and the fullness of his blessings, the place that flows with milk and honey where the fruit has to be carried by two men. It's so immense. And Joshua stands before them and says there's certain things that are absolutely necessary. In fact, there's one thing that's absolutely necessary. Be loyal to God. Do not surrender your loyalty to the other gods, to the gods of your forefathers that you've been rescued from. Now, the promised land was that place that um, they would experience what it was to be Receiving the the promises of God. We stand this morning symbolically at the port of entry into the blessings of God on the basis of our salvation. We stand symbolically at Calvary. That's where we are this morning. We are at the communion table of the Lord, the commemoration of the Death of Christ on our behalf. We are at the port of entry to the great blessings of Jesus Christ because of our salvation. The message is no different to us. The enjoyment of the fullness of those blessings in the victorious Christian life depend upon our loyalty, our undivided heart to Jesus Christ. Our passion for Him alone. Reverend Keith Edwards, who's sitting up here this morning, pointed my heart to a text in Scripture this week, I think, or last week, I forget, in Hebrews chapter 4. And I I went and I read through it, and I realized that Hebrews chapter 4 is an interesting connection to this whole Joshua text. In verse 8, it talks about if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. And so this text talks about the entering into the Sabbath rest of Christ, which isn't, by the way, get on a chaise lounge and do nothing for the rest of your life. It is entering into the victorious Christian life. It is the New Testament equivalent of the Old Testament into the promised land. 
And the, the invitation is here in this text in Hebrews chapter 4. It says, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But here's the key. But the message they heard was of no value to them. Why? Because those who heard did not combine it with faith. They didn't act upon what they heard. You can come here every Sunday morning and I can stand before you, blah, 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 blah. And you can walk out and all that is is blah, blah, blah. You're not because of your attendance here, because of your gathering here, because of your ears are open, that somehow God is going to necessarily magically change your life. There is an act of responsibility that you have, that Joshua and the leaders of Scripture that that God has called and raised up and and pastors that God has raised up will continue to push forth to you. You must take what you hear from God's Word and you must apply it to your life. The definition of faith is not really difficult for us to understand. It is this. It is you believing that if you do what God tells you to do, you will get what God says you will get. That's very simply put. It's it's not difficult for us to understand. As Joshua stood before this great company of people, he said, if you will maintain your heart's single devotion and allegiance to the living God, God will fulfill all of the promises that he has offered to you. So take what you are hearing this day and combine it with faith. In other words, belief is really doing what God says to do so you will get what God says you will get. It doesn't happen any other way. And so Joshua stands before them and he calls to them in Joshua chapter 24 and he says to them, it is time to pick a side and really stick to it. It is time for you to declare who you really are, who really is God in your life, and stick to it and live by it. And and I would say that, you know, as we start this new term of ministry together, and it's so exciting to have you back, and we're gathered back, and we're ready for this exciting term, and we're we're, um, enthusiastic, and we're with great anticipation of what God will do. God is doing great things. What is he going to do? It is imperative for us to be hungry for the fullness of the blessings of God. It is imperative for us to say, listen, it is time for us as a church family to, seri- to really get serious about our individual spiritual lives and to say, I want to be fully loyal to Jesus Christ. I personally, Lord God, cause my heart to be fully sold out to you. And so Joshua stands before them and he says to them that that God is calling you to this. And he gives them instructions in verse 14 and following. Now he says, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Or the word there all is total faithfulness. Uh, In fact, he says choose to fear the Lord. Choose to fear the Lord and serve him with total faithfulness. 
Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. Look how many times there's serve here. Serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Dads, that's your verse for your family. Men here in this congregation, take and embrace that verse and make it yours and own it and call your family into a service with God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our fathers up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he's our God. Joshua, in a surprising response, says to them, you are not able to serve the Lord. Why? Two reasons. What are they? This is interactive time. He is, and he is, jealous. We'll come to that in a few moments. That's pretty important stuff. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, it's activate time. Activate or stagnate. Throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord, our God, and obey him. All right, very quickly, listen. Fear the Lord. Respect him. Give him the highest place of respect in your life. Is he there? Is that where God is in your, in your heart, in your life, in every arena of your life? All of those sectors, the ethical sector, the religious sector, the pleasure sector, the, the joy sector, the job sector is he there the bank sector the wallet sector is are you giving him the highest respect serving the lord serve him be a loyal servant of his wishes and to hold fast to him you need to throw away some things in your life remember last week we talked about about holding fast to god and what that looked like and one of the lyrics in one of the songs we sang this morning pastor steve i can't remember just which it was but it was one of the earlier songs talked about holding on to the lord holding tight on to the lord that's what we talked about last week with which is hold fast to the lord means give him such a squeeze that there's no room for anything or anyone to wedge in between your embrace of the living god and Joshua's looking at them saying, listen, you, got, you people are dabbling with stuff that's got a wedge in this tight squeeze. You can't fully embrace God. That's what this is about, and some things have to go in your life. Renounce other gods and, or, or serve them, he says. One or the other. Stop trying to play this game of being in two worlds. Stop it. 
You're miserable. It will never work for you. So he says, if you want to go back to the gods that did nothing for you but put you into a slavery of sinfulness, then go back to them. But as for me and my household, he says, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going forward with the Lord. This is an old, old man. He's about to die. Don't you? I, I love feisty old people like that. I remember my grandfather in his 90th year going out and getting a large print NIV Bible. It's like, you don't go and buy green bananas when you're 90 years old, you know? And he goes out and buys himself a new Bible, a new large print NIV Bible. Now, not, and that was, here's what's huge about it. He's a King James man. For 90 years, 90 odd years, I've been a King James man. Well, he wasn't really from the South or anything, but... <laughs> just sounds better for an old person to be like that, right? I've been a King James man my whole life. At 90 years of age, he goes and buys a large print NIV Bible. And God gives him a few more years to live so he could enjoy that Bible. That's what Joshua is saying here. Me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. Well, that's a powerful thing, you know, when a great statesman like that stands up before all the people and says the way it is. And so we... um, Realize that he calls his people to great faithfulness, total faithfulness. The cross of Jesus Christ, you know, answers a question and then asks a question. The cross of Jesus Christ answers this, answers this question. The question is, will God take me into his kingdom and in his family? After all, my behavior has been so bad. Would, would the living God really take me? And the answer is a thousand times yes. That's the great rehearsal of these people in that day as, as they rehearse what God had done for them regardless of how awful they had been to God, how many times they had let God down. They could look and realize that God takes us to himself. The answer is yes. If you're here this morning and... You say, well, my record in life has just been too bad. There's no possible way that God would call me into his family. That's just not true. God is calling you into his family right now. Our God is a saving God. Our God is building his family. That's who our God is. Our God is a loving and merciful God. Our God knows that we are just dust. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our frailties. What a great song Charles sang this morning talks about our past and what we were and what God is doing with us. No, he takes us, but it asks a question. In light of the mercy and the magnanimous grace and mercy of God, is Jesus your Lord? In light of all that he's done for you to rescue you out of this slave market of darkness and bring you into the marvelous kingdom of his life. As you stand in this symbolic port of entry into the victorious life of Christ, is Jesus your Lord or not? And Joshua stands before you, the statesmen of scripture throughout the ages, the uh, church fathers, the pastors stand before you and say... Is Jesus your Lord or not? But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. That's what he's calling us to. Now, as you know, they were hasty to say, yes, we will serve him, no problem. And in this great challenge of culture in Christ, the questions that we ask of our own hearts is, my heart in this for God, you know, where do I turn for provision? 
Where, where's the first place I turn for provision or pleasure or adventure or entertainment or comfort or relationship or recovery or security or protection? Where do you turn? Where do I turn? God wants it to be Him. Jesus is saying, if, if I'm really Lord of your life, it should be me. I should be the one you're turning to. See, other gods are really easy to serve. They don't, you know, whether it's old gods, new gods, Amorite gods, Girgashite gods, I just made that up, Toronto gods, they don't care. You know, serve me, leave me, come back to me. When the new iPod comes out, buy it, no problem. When you become addicted to it and it lets you down, go buy another one. These gods don't care. You know, the Israelites were listening to this and they were very proud of their monotheism, you know. They were a one God people. And Joshua was talking about them having multiple gods. We're very proud of our monotheism. We're one God people. What are you talking about other gods in my life? What are you talking about functional gods? What are you talking about idols? We're one God people. Calvary Baptist Church are one God people. We all um, feel badly about um, Hindus who have multiple gods. Oh, they have 3,000 gods? That's ridiculous. That's crazy. How can you serve 3,000 gods? There's not 3,000 gods. There's only one God. And we, we talk about that to each other. And then, and then we realize... Wait a second. I'm living just like a Hindu. I've got my one foot in God, the God of Jehovah God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the living God. And I got my other feet in a bunch of other gods, my life. This is a call to loyalty. And he says, you can't be loyal. You, You don't realize that while it might be easy to serve other gods, it's very difficult to serve Jesus. It's not easy to serve Jesus. That's what Joshua is saying here. I don't pray. Maybe somebody sold you a really easy kind of thing, like, well, just come forward and pray a prayer and everything will be fine and you'll go to heaven. That's not Christianity. Our God's a holy God and a jealous God. The deal about really being part of God's family is loyalty to that God, Jesus Christ. In his holiness, he is intolerant. He's one of a kind. He has expectations. Isaiah the prophet found that out in Isaiah chapter 6 when he realized, man, when you come into an encounter with the holy God, you realize how sinful you are. He calls our sin what it is. He calls us to account. He's a holy God. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, you, 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 you'll read an account there where Phineas and Hophni, the wicked sons of Eli the priest, thought that they could play two worlds. They thought that they could serve the living God and they thought that they could do whatever they want with their lives. They were completely immoral, taking advantage of all the women. And, and, and so Israel goes to battle. 
And of course, normally God fights for Israel. God fights for his people. Israel goes out to battle with the Philistines. And you know what happened in that text? It says that the Israelites were losing the battle. So Hophni and Phinehas think, well, you know what? We'll just drag the Ark of the Covenant into the battle site. We'll just drag God along and and, and plant him in the middle of the battle. and, And God will be fine with it. He always has to show up and help us. So they drag the Ark of the Covenant into the battle. And you know what happens? They lose. Oh yeah, the Israelites lost the battle bad. Not only that, the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God, was taken by the Philistines. You you can't live a life uh, of duplicity. You can't think that you can live life of sinfulness and, and, and drag your Bible out once a week or drag your body into church once a week and think that God's gonna fight for you. It's not gonna work that way. He offers his blessing to those who are sold out to him. He's a jealous God. He's not going to share us with anybody. He's got to share us with other things. It demotes him. It demotes his glory when we have other gods before him. Think about the picture this way. When we, when we rely on other things for provision, then God. It's like, it's like a dad who has a, a kid who comes to them and says, Hey, Dad, you know what? I've decided to, to depend, and, and depend upon all my, for all my provision on the thief kid who lives across the street. I'm no longer going to depend on you for provision. It's like... You're not good enough for me. I'm going to that thief kid across the street. It's like, what? After all that I've done for you, how I've looked after you, how I continue to look after you, you're going to go and rely on that thief kid across the street to look after you? Now take that and multiply that by infinity and you'll realize how unimaginably insulting it is to God for us to rely on other things besides him. He's a holy God and a jealous God. And here's what he does, folks. He calls us. Anything other than Jesus that you are putting your trust in is now at risk to you. Anything. What you elevate to idle status in your life, God will take away, will drag down, and it will take you down with it. Because God says, I will have no other gods before me. So let me just wrap it up as we make our Renewed commitment to the Lord here at the table. Whatever prevents you from total open-handed and open-hearted devotion and availability to do whatever God wants you to do, whenever, however, wherever, has got to be thrown away. Now, you know, let's not go overly literal in the idea that I've got to throw people out of my life. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what God's talking about. He's saying that people have to have the right position in your life. Possessions have to have the right place in your life. Your job, which you should go to tomorrow, has to have the right place in your life. How you invest your money has to have the right place in your life. And if any of those things are interfering with what I want you to do or where, where I want you to go, or how I want you to live, 
then you have to reposition those things because they are now in positions of functional gods. So what will it be, Calvary? Jesus has died for you that you might be saved. Communion is our covenant renewal with him. We are in covenant. Think about this. Think about this. You, the insignificant human beings, a speck in the universe, the holy living God has put us in covenant with him. And he promises to keep his, his covenant. And this is what this table symbolizes. So the people of that day said, sort of a reminder of the old gospel song, we're going with Jesus all the way. I hope that's what your heart tells you is a message for you. Our Father and our God, I pray this morning as we um, have encountered your word to us. I pray, Lord, as we now are drawn to the table of the Lord, symbolic of that port of entry, our salvation, by faith in Christ Jesus alone, and then the victorious life you offer to us by, through loyalty to you alone, Jesus as Lord. Jesus as Savior shed his blood on the cross to die for me. Jesus now as Lord is worthy and rightfully worthy of my worship, my life, the fullness of my heart. Lord, we give it to you this morning. May this communion time now be our commitment to loyalty, I pray, O oh God. Amen. And my heart's desire is that me and you would say we're going with Jesus all the way. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this opportunity to assemble. We praise you. We ask, Lord, that you might bless the day that's before us with a great harvest. And a harvest in our hearts, Lord, of loyalty to you. Oh, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.